my, my keynote verse for the last few weeks, and I'm going to stay right on it, how do you live a spirit-filled life? I've been trying to talk to you about living spirit-filled unashamedly. Obviously, I'm a fourth-generation Pentecostal. You know that I believe in that as well as other things. Uh, but how do you live a spirit-filled life? How do you live a life that's formed by the spirit, shaped by the spirit, and not shaped by the culture in which you live? How do you live a spiritually free life? Heather did such a phenomenal job in sharing about how to be free uh, in the spirit and how to be the person God's called you to be. Last week, I started trying to introduce to you the gifts of the spirit. And there are many gifts of the spirit, but the three major headings, the gift of eternal life. How many are born again? Uh, okay, half of you. The other half of you need to get saved. And, and no, no. How many of you really know that Jesus is the center of your life, that you're born again, right? Okay, that's a gift, right? That's a gift of grace. You don't earn that. You don't deserve that. You can't do anything to lose that, to be quite frank with you. You don't get a trophy. You don't need a trophy. God loves you just the way you are. Contrary to the culture in which we live in that's always got people competing to win a trophy, you don't have to compete in the body of Christ. Uh, one of my concerns, and I have 11 grandchildren, and uh, we went yesterday to two football games and soccer games, and all that's lovely, and I get it. At the same time, I know what it looks like on the face of a nine-year-old when they lose a game. And as I watched that happen, I thought, that's not the kingdom of God, because in the kingdom of God, everybody wins, right? And so we have to continue to show the culture of the kingdom over and against the culture of the world in which we live. Or people will think the culture of the world is the culture of the kingdom, and it's not. And many times, culture will strangle vision. You can have a great vision, but the people around you can almost strangle it because they can't see it. That's culture. Uh, so I, I want you to understand that God gives gifts to all of us and that we have eternal life. And then Paul comes along and says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? And you, you know about 80% of the body of Christ in America don't even know what you're talking about when you ask them, have you received the Holy Spirit? 80% according to Barna. And then there's the gifts of the Spirit that you find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the gifts of the Spirit. And Paul writes there and says, I don't want you to be unlearned or ignorant about the gifts of the Spirit. And there's a lot of myth, a lot of fantasy, a lot of misunderstanding about what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are. And I am very specifically this fall trying to unpack them to you because I think like never before we need to see those gifts operating in our lives. I think like never before you need the presence of the Holy Spirit to live and to discover and to be developed in all that God has for you. And so my keynote verse has been Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, where he says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Say with me, by my spirit. Not by your strength and not by your power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, there's a people that's been called to live. And in Acts chapter 2, it said, in those days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all. Say all. You see, in the Old Testament, the Spirit came on a few, and they outran chariots, and they did things. But in the New Testament, the Spirit of God comes to live in us. We are the temple, the abode, the dwelling place. We're the tabernacle on wheels. We, we are God's home. Say with me, I am. One in whom the Holy Spirit lives. You are. Now, you, you may or may not have ever been encouraged to develop that relationship or to develop the gifts that God has given to you. 
But I want to encourage you this morning that the Hebrew writer says that God testified by signs, wonders, and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4. God testifies, reveals, makes self known. And that word reveal, apocalyptic. The word apocalyptic is not what you think. The word apocalyptic means to unveil, to unfurl. And God has unfurled, revealed himself in Christ by signs, wonders, and miracles and, Hebrews 2, 4, gifts of the Holy Spirit. But see, in the culture in which we live today, we downplay that. We downplay that because we don't want anybody jumping up in here and talking in tongues. Or if they do, we want to make sure we have the interpretation, bless God. We, we don't want this service to get chaotic because that might make people nervous. So in the 20th and 21st century, by and large, we have allowed ourselves to go undercover because we don't want to. So we're more concerned about you having a latte and that we don't creep over into your football time this afternoon. So we haven't really made room for the Holy Spirit. And some of you were raised in Pentecostal circles where grandma ran around the edges and strung the hanky and it scared the holy bejeebies out of you. That's the way I was raised. And, and, and so you're a little cautious. But I want to tell you again, we're living in a culture and a time that without the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you're never going to be able to figure out, discern what is really going on in your lifetime. So I'm trying to be very calm, which if you know me, that's a little hard. I'm trying to be very calm and very succinct about what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we have all received, according to Paul, diversities given to all for the profit of all. And Paul writes that we should all seek after them. We should all desire them. We should all want them to work in our lives. So what are they and how do they work in our lives? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's nine. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discernment, uh, gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, prophecy, faith, healing. There's nine of them. Those are divided into three categories. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discernment. Those are revelatory gifts. They are God making himself known to us. The gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, and the discernment. That revelational gift that allows us to know someone and to see what it is they're saying and doing in our lives. And it's distributed to all. Look at your neighbor and say, you're gifted. No, no, say it again. You're gifted. You see, so many people among us don't even know that they are special gifted people. That they have talents and abilities, latent, hidden ability that's pushed down inside of them. And by and large, the church doesn't do much to encourage those gifts to come to the surface. And so what happens is they jump out into para-church ministries. They jump out into Women's Aglow. They jump out into Full Gospel Business Association. They jump out into Men's and Women's Encounter because the church won't make room for those things to work. Well, the church of the 21st century should make some room Amen. to discover and develop and deploy people in the fullness of these spiritual gifts. Right. Am, am I doing okay? Yes. So look at your neighbor and say, you are gifted. But do you know that if you don't encourage that gift... If you don't encourage people to discover that and do that, they generally won't do it. So I, I'm, I'm going to speak to really gifted people this morning, right? Word of knowledge. To one has been given a word of knowledge. A word, what does it mean to have knowledge? You know, there's natural knowledge. There, there's educated knowledge. And then there's spiritual knowledge. You and I are not supposed to rely simply on natural knowledge. Now, natural knowledge told you this morning to put on shoes. 
Natural knowledge this morning tells you uh, how to drive. Natural, and then there's educated knowledge, right? That's the medical guy. But then there's this supernatural spiritual knowledge that comes to us by the Word of God. It's when we, we receive something hidden, something secret, something that education and natural ability will not give to you. I actually, when Christy said this morning that she just kind of got this idea to help, I went, so many times we think God's going to show up with a booming voice in a cloud with a dove hanging over and go, this is my will for, no, no. That, that may happen, but more, generally if that happens, it'll scare you so bad, you'll, you'll still be, no, it, it really is a thought. When God gives you a word of knowledge, it's a thought that you would never have had. It's not a thought you'd have. You wouldn't have thought about taking those Kenyans to the doctor. You would, you, in fact, you, you, would, you kind of oppose the idea, right? But this thought comes to you. I really think that a word of knowledge is when God thinks his thoughts through your mind. When God thinks through your head. Because the thoughts of God are higher than yours. His ways are higher than yours. But a word of knowledge is when God drops into you something you could not know, would not dream up on your own. And some of you call it intuition. If you're a man, you call it gut knowledge. The truth of the matter is it's God. And all of you have experienced it, but you have never given God credit for it. And if you don't give God credit for it, there'll come a day when you'll be tempted to take credit for it yourself. And that's a real mistake. But to open our lives up to the reality that every once in a while, God gives us a thought that he has been thinking, and he shares it with us. And most of the time, those thoughts are to protect someone else or to help someone else. Most of the time, when God thinks his thoughts through your head, it takes you outside of yourself. Because if you don't know it, most of us spend about 90% of our time thinking about ourselves. And so when God's thought comes, it's always wholly other. It's always for another it's always about somebody else, and it moves you to give. It moves you to give of your time or your talent or your treasury. It moves you to encourage. It moves you to love. It moves you to be like Christ. And can I tell you, most people don't even know what that is. Most people are stuck with a virus, not of COVID, but of legalism. They're stuck with a virus of legalism that says, only when people perform do I help them. But you see, when Christ comes, he comes to do for people who could not do for themselves, for the least, the last, and the lowest. He comes for the poor and the downtrodden. And when God thinks a thought through you, it's for somebody else to help them, to lift them, to redeem them, to restore them, to encourage them. I want you to know God does not give you words of knowledge about other people's sin. That is divination. That has no place in the body of Christ. Oh, I know some of you. Uh, see, it's not, it's not the mentalist. I loved the show Mentalist, but a word of knowledge is not the mentalist. It doesn't come by observation. It's not a psychic. We're not fortune tellers. It, it, it is people that are in relationship with God, and you're so close to God that he can share an intimate secret with you. It, it, there was a prophet named Samuel who stood to... King Saul, and Saul had lost his donkeys, and he was more worried about his donkeys than he was about Israel. And Samuel shows up and says, your donkeys are home in the barn. That's a word of knowledge. This words of knowledge to tell you. There was this prophet by the name of Elisha, and he knew what the thoughts of the king 
was who was planning to attack Israel. And they said, listen, you're never going to win because Elisha always knows the thoughts of the king. You see, a word of knowledge is when you know something that you have no way of knowing if God didn't share it with you. And to believe that, my whole life has been garnered by words of knowledge and words of wisdom. But that word of knowledge is to know something that you could not know before, to think something that you wouldn't have thought on your own. The Bible says Jesus knowing their thoughts. I'm going to tell you, it can be a little unnerving when someone begins to read your mail. I've had it happen. Somebody step up to me and they start out by telling me something in my life and nobody knew that but Jesus. My wife didn't know that. My best friend didn't know that. And they start out by saying, da 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 They have my attention. They have my attention. Something's going on there. Or, 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 or it's even happened for me. I've, I've, I've spoken to some of you at times past. And I'd say something to you. And, it would, and then what was coming next was a prophetic word. But God will get your attention by sharing with you these intimate thoughts or words that will, well, sometimes they do come in pictures, like Christy said, but, but they'll come and you know that it's God. And you know that God's saying, or you wake up from a dream and you know that just wasn't a taco. You, you know. See, it's high time the church started understanding that we are directed by words of knowledge and not by the media. That we are directed by words of the Spirit and not by someone's opinion about what's going on. I have watched America and the world the last four or five years, and they're more moved by their opinion. They're more moved by what they can discern in their own analytical mind than they are by a word from God. And again, a word from God always speaks to protect, always speaks about others. The Bible says it edifies, uplifts, and encourages. It never tears down, destroys, or uncovers. That's the word of God, my friends. And some of the Pentecostal world has got to hear it. You've been using it wrong. You've been using your own criticism and calling it God. That's why other people have turned off from us. We have to recognize that the word of knowledge has been given to edify, uplift, exhort, to encourage, to comfort, to bless, and to heal. And when we do that, then no country, no media can control us. I'm telling you, the issue is not out there. The issue is in here. Have we drawn close enough to God that we can hear what He is thinking and hear what He is saying? Because when we do, we can never be duped because God is listening to what's going on. And am I doing okay here? Then the word of wisdom. A word of wisdom, yeah, I've met a lot of educated people, very smart people, but they haven't got the common sense to come in out of the rain. I'm serious. A word of wisdom as to how to apply the knowledge. How do you put the knowledge that God shared to you in practice? One of the most powerful stories is about how those two women are arguing over whose child it is, and they come to the king, Solomon, and Solomon ponders about it for a moment, and then he says, okay, we'll take the child, we'll cut the child in half, and you take half, and you take half. Now, why did he do that? Because, obviously, it's going to reveal the real mother. Because the real mother's going to go, you take the child. That's a word of wisdom. It's the ability to apply the knowledge that you've received. And, and you need not only to know something, but you need to know what to do with what you know. The truth of the matter is, is Christy had a word of knowledge, but now she's having to work in wisdom, and she's telling you, I don't know how to do this. If it's not for the wisdom of God, I won't be able to do it. 
You never want to allow fear to keep you from obeying a word of knowledge. Because if God shared with you something you'd have never thought of, he's also going to have to share with you how to do what he asked you and showed you to do. And he probably is not going to give you the whole plan. He's probably going to say, well, do this. And you're going to think, well, that's nuts. But do it anyway. I can remember when God spoke to me and told me to look at that couple and go in the front yard and dig a hole and go in the backyard and dig a hole and carry that dirt to there and that dirt to here. That was silly. But when they did it, they were instantly uh, delivered from their addiction. You see, we need to have people that have the ability to hear from God and to follow the instructions that he gives them to do. So obedience begins to come into play here about hearing and obeying. We'll eat the best of the land. And we have to lean in a little bit to get the wisdom as to how to follow through with what he's given us to do. The Bible says that he gave a spirit of wisdom and understanding to Moses as to how to build the tabernacle. The Bible says that he gave wisdom to the shapers of the stones as to how to build Solomon's temple. You see, you'll never be able to accomplish anything without God giving you the ability. And can I tell you, none of them were craftsmen until God gave them the ability. All of them became artisans once they begin to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, one of my favorite verses is John chapter 14, verse 26. The Holy Spirit will teach me all things and bring all things to my remembrance. Well, how can he teach me if I'm not listening for that knowledge? If I'm not listening for that wisdom? If I'm not walking in a relationship with someone that I can hear their voice? You see, Christianity is far more than you getting saved and going to heaven. Christianity is far more than you getting your Cadillac paid for. Christianity is far more than you getting healed. Christianity is about living in a relationship with God to the degree that he can share with you the most intimate of secrets and utilize you to meet the needs of other people around you. That is Christianity. Christianity isn't just about us singing songs or dabbling in spiritual things so that we can say we got spiritual gifts. No, Christianity is about becoming the vehicles through which God ministers to other human beings today. It is not about getting the right person in the right place to fulfill our political dreams. It is simply about loving one another the way that God loves other people. Why would I come out of the kingdom to get engaged with the affairs of this world? I am a minister of the kingdom of God, drawing people into that. Can I tell you, I'm still so fascinated with that that I haven't got time to stoop to the level that I've watched my community go. And I'm trying to call you up out of that into this realm of the rule and the reign of the Holy Spirit who moves through our lives, that we can go to Kenya, we can go to Africa, we can go all over the world and see God minister to people in our, oh, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. you got to lean into that a little bit in order to see the things that God would have us to do to take place in our lives. These three gifts, wisdom, knowledge, and discernment, and discernment gets such a bad rap. I'll never forget this lady running up to me at the front of the church. And she goes, you see that guy back there? He's got a spirit of lust on him. And it didn't take a rocket scientist to know that he bought his Levi's two sizes too small. It didn't take a rocket scientist. She got that by observation. And I remember looking at her and saying, oh, he doesn't have the spirit of lust. You do. 
You see, discernment is not about what you can observe, analyze. It's not about what you can put through your gray matter and come to this conclusion. Discernment is when God drops into your heart what is motivating what's taking place. It's being able to see the spirit behind the actions. I've watched a lot of people do good things, but their motivation was wrong. I've watched a lot of people stand up for the right thing, but their motivation was to be in power. I've watched a lot of people start doing all kinds of stuff, but the spirit that was behind it was not God. In Acts chapter 16, this lady kept following Paul around, going, holy, you're a man of God, you're a man. And Paul turned around and said, cast that demon out of that woman. Why? Because she was a divinator. They were using her as a fortune teller to make money. That's why the Philippians threw Paul in jail. is because he cut off their money train. Listen, we're not fortune tellers. We're not people that uncover the sin of other people. We are people that discern the motivation of the Spirit. If you don't understand this, do you, do you understand that there are spirits at play in our life all the time? And some of them are to do us bad. There are spirits that entangle people in their lives. There's a spirit that gets people addicted to methamphetamines and to cocaine and to alcohol. There are spirits that get people addicted to pornography. There are spirits. It's not all a result of choices. There are principalities and rulers in high places that are manipulating humanity so that humanity never discovers who they really are in the image of likeness of God. We need to have the ability to discern what is motivating a move? What is taking place behind the scenes? And that discernment is dropped into us so that we can set people free. You see, deliverance is the, is the need of so many people today. They need to be delivered from the onslaught of things that are holding them back. Jesus came to set people free, not to settle our debates. He came to set people free of the, not just of our sin, but of the chains and the jails that bind us. God wants us free of fear. And fear is only destroyed by a word of wisdom. You see, the thing that you're afraid of will be destroyed when God shows you what's really going on and shows you how to get out of what's going on. You'll never destroy fear by going, I'm going to have faith, I'm going to have faith, I'm going to have faith. No, you're just going to be tired. And you're going to become frustrated. You're going to become very frustrated. But fear is removed when God gives you discernment about what's really taking place. And begins to give you encouragement and direction about how to walk out of that trap. 25% of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ was the casting out of demons. 25%. One-fourth of the ministry on earth of Christ was to break the bonds and the power of demonic forces. And yet today, in the church in America, you want to tell me the last time you hear anybody talking about breaking demonic holes off of human beings or off of cultures and societies? Listen, I've been in Nairobi. I've walked through the streets of Nairobi. You can walk in there and you can feel demonic spirits. You see, in the two-third world, undeveloped countries, they're very, very bold. It isn't hard to recognize. But in America, we're educated. We're sophisticated. We don't have demonic issues. We're, we're, listen, demons in America are far more subtle. 
They come in and they suppress. They oppress. They depress and we take pills. And all of that oppression, all of that suppression, all of that is demonic forces working to try to keep us from realizing our highest and fullest potential. And the church is the answer. The answer, listen, I go to counseling. I encourage you to go to counseling. I'm not talking against counseling. But I'm here to tell you, you're not going to fund another program that fixes people. You have got to have the discerning spirit of God to know what's at play and what's at work underneath there in order to truly set people free. This is our job. It is our job to receive knowledge and wisdom and have a discerning understanding. I, I was talking to a teacher the other day and she was talking about the stuff in her classroom and she was learning how to deal with it. And then she started saying, well, I just kind of had maybe this idea and I thought, that's discernment, babe. Run with that. Run with that. You can't take a formula and put it somewhere and think that's the whole thing. Of course you need a formula. But then you have to have the Holy Spirit working behind it so that you can sense and understand. Hmm. To work in a discerning way so that we can set people free and we can bring deliverance in a culture that, quite frankly, is quite opposed to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of grace, the kingdom of love. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I need delivered from my own thoughts. Maybe I'm the only one in here, but sometimes my brain goes nuts. And, and I got I to pull it. I, I, I need to be delivered from the competitive nature that I... Hmm, go Chiefs. Uh, I need to be delivered from that spirit that gives me systemic trauma. I need to be delivered from those prejudices and those preferences. I need delivered from that. And I need a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. I need a discernment that takes place to happen. Yeah. The interesting thing about the scriptures is they're always revealing to us times. And I love the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. They were brought over into Babylon. And they were told that they had to change their names and follow demon gods. They wanted to feed them with the delicacies of Babylon. But Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were rooted in their identity. They knew who they were. And they were able to stand against that. And Daniel, Hananiah, and Mishael, and Azariah will rise to the leaders of this culture that had them in bondage. You see, the book of Daniel shows us how to live in a culture that's against us. How to live in a culture that is so opposed to us. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did not battle the culture. They didn't try to oppose the culture. They just tried to live as God's people in the midst of that culture. They didn't try to do this and change the culture. They just crossed the culture. You see, when we cross the culture, we give people choices. We give people opportunities. See, we're not supposed to live like this. That's fighting. That's power and strength. But the Spirit of God crosses culture. The Spirit of God lives in contrast to the culture and lives out another way, a better way of living than living in a Babylonian Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Dyrus, or Cyrus. And so Daniel, Hananiah, and Mishael, they begin to serve that culture. And Belshazzar had a bad dream. He had a nightmare. And in the middle of that nightmare, there was writing on the wall which basically says, I'm sending your saddle home, you're going to die. But he couldn't read it. And the queen stepped up and said, 
O king, don't be troubled in thy heart, for there is one that lives in your father's kingdom who has the spirit of the holy God, has the wisdom of the ages. He can understand and interpret, and the Amplified says, naughty dreams. There is one here who has an excellent spirit. The proverb writer says that a man with an excellent spirit has understanding. You see, Daniel had the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside, and he could get words of knowledge and words of wisdom and discernment. He could interpret. He could solve the culture's problems. And because of that, three times in the book of Daniel, it says he has an excellent spirit. Can I tell you something? The church needs to have an excellent spirit, a spirit that when the culture finds problems, they call us to discern and to interpret and to solve. I'm telling you, church, we need to recover what it means to live in the presence of the Holy Spirit so that when they have troubles, they call us and we're able to discern. And when he does, he comes in and he interprets it. And quite frankly, Belshazzar dies that night. But not before. Not before he had robed Daniel in purple and put rubies and... You see, my friends, we don't have to oppose. All we have to do is live true to who we really are. All we have to do is stand in the middle of a world that is evil and be able to express the presence of God through grace and loving. Am I making any sense here? Daniel will go on to say that the people that know their God will do great exploits. The Bible goes on to say in Daniel that he distinguished himself above all others. Why? Because he had a relationship with God that would share with him the knowledge and the wisdom and the discernment of God in any given situation. It sounds to me like that maybe we might live, be living in another Babylon. We might be living in another time when we need to be able to hear God and obey God. Everybody wants to try to figure out how Daniel is prophesying the end of time. Listen, Daniel was living in the end of time. That was the end of his time. He was living in bondage, and he showed us how to live in the middle of a world that is evil. He showed us how to live in the middle of a world that certainly wasn't run by God, but he showed us how to live in the midst of that world by leaning into the presence of God and hearing and following those instructions. This is applicable to every one of you today. Every one of you today need a word of wisdom as to face whatever it is you're facing. Every one of you today need wisdom. Every one of you today need discernment. If you're raising a kid, you better bless God, get it. Because there's no way to raise a kid in the 21st century without a little bit of knowledge, wisdom, and discernment. Every one of you this morning. And the Bible says that I have called you friends not servants. And if you're a friend, I'm going to make you know all that I know. See, maybe we need to spend a little more quality time with being a friend of God so that he can share with us the secrets that we need to know. Because God doesn't share secrets with people that don't walk in fellowship with him. Just ask Enoch. Enoch walked with God in habitual fellowship, and he was seen no more. Today, instead of trying to get our latte or getting everything correct, maybe we ought to spend more time living in a friend fellowship with God to the degree that he can share with us the knowledge and the wisdom and the discernment that is needed for today. This is not a motivational speech. This is a speech begging you 
to lean into the spirit of the living God. This is, this is a talk trying to get you to lean in and ask God, God, I want to be close enough with you that you can share your thoughts with me. I want to be close enough with you that you can share wisdom and discern with me. And see, these gifts will not operate in any other atmosphere outside of grace. It takes an atmosphere of grace and forgiveness for these gifts to operate. Because if these gifts operate in a condemning, judgmental culture, they can kill people. These gifts can only operate when God can trust you enough with information that you won't use it to harm, but you'll use it to help. Am I? Listen, I believe with all of my heart that every one of you are gifted. Every one of you have the spirit of the living God on the inside of you. And every one of you can begin to operate in these gifts. And when you begin to operate in these gifts, can I tell you, God can take a little boy from Severy, Kansas, put him in Hutchinson and tell him to stay here and let me reach the world from Hutchinson, Kansas. Can I tell you, that doesn't happen often. It doesn't. It only happens because you lean in and allow God to speak with you. I could give you example after example after example of how God has spoke to me and helped me to understand. But if I do, it will, it will diminish some of you because you'll think you have to live up to something. And you don't have to live up to anything. I'll tell you a testimony. My uncle was a drunk. He was a drunk. My granddad was a drunk. Everybody on my granddad's sides were drunks. Everybody on grandma's sides were drunks. We lived off the dole in Oklahoma, off the Cherokee tribe. They were all drunks. But my grandma met Jesus. She was 27 years old in a brush arbor in southern Oklahoma. She came to Jesus. And when she came to Jesus, God baptized her with the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, Grandma couldn't have found four books in the Bible, but she could tell you what the Lord was saying. And my uncle wrecked his truck one night. We didn't know it. My grandma's up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and she's Shondying. Anybody know what Shondying is? Okay. I could show you. And she's Shondying. She comes up, she gets this little boy up, and she gets in the car, and she's praying in tongues. And we drive south of Ponca City, Oklahoma, down through Stillwater, down there. I said, Grandma, where are we going? She goes, I don't know, but God will show me your uncle's in trouble. She had no clue where my uncle was. But she followed the spirit of the living God until we found that truck up over on its side. And my grandmother in her 60s got up on that truck and started dragging my uncle out of there. That's a word of knowledge. That's wisdom. That's discernment. No book will teach you that. No denomination can explain that. You listen to me. My uncle's alive today because my tongue-talking Native American grandmother who had very little was able to hear the voice of God and serve God in her generation. None of you are above needing that. None of you are so sophisticated, educated, so well off that you don't need that. There will come moments in your life that only the Holy Spirit can help. And you need that. The longer I live, the more grateful I am to my grandmother. I, I could tell you like this. I think the gifts of the Holy Spirit are the X factor. When the world gets scared, we have the X factor. And we can, I, I, I'll, I, I can, Paul would pray this prayer to the Colossians, and he would pray it 
to the Ephesians. I pray that you would be filled with the wisdom and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ that you might profit in good works. I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be open, that you might know the hope of his glory, the riches of his grace, and the power that works within you. Paul is always praying that not only do you receive the Holy Spirit, but the fullness of the gifts of the Holy Spirit begin to manifest in your life. My prayer today is that you would be so aware of the presence of God that you'd get that gut instinct, that thought that comes from God, that you could discern which way to step and which way not to step. I actually believe it's the answer for our country. I actually believe it's the answer for the world. I actually believe that if you'll disengage from the things of this world and give yourself fully to the spirit of the living God, that they'll be calling us to interpret their problems. They'll be calling us to solve their issues. I'm convinced that if we keep arguing with them, we miss the opportunity that we have of the moment to be the manifestation of the presence of the living God in the 21st century. I've done this on purpose, just as calmly as I can. Because I know some of you are skeptical. I know some of you are scared. But I'm trying my best to say, if you'll trust the body of Christ, you can discover and develop these gifts to such a degree that it'll change your life. Amen. Many, 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 many years ago, I was on my way to London, and the Lord spoke to me out of the book of Romans. He says, son, I'm sending you to impart spiritual gifts that it might make people stronger, more established. I believe with all of my heart, I've been faithful to preach the message of God's grace and love, yet in the power of his spirit. And I think I've had the privilege a few times to impart the gifts of the Holy Spirit to people. Listen, that impartation is so needful today. In a world that thinks they're experts and specialists at everything, I do not hear many people saying, let me just give you the gifts that come from God. And they're not gifts that you earn. They're gifts that he gives you. I hope in the next few weeks you'll allow that impartation to take place as you come in and out of here. It, it, was, it was an honor, Jess. Yesterday you helped me more than I helped you. It's an honor every time I'm able to try to just impart the presence of the Lord. I don't have a lot to give. Well, I got degrees beyond. But what I really have to give is the grace of the Lord and the presence of his spirit that will help you to live today and tomorrow. And it will help your children. If we take this journey this fall, hmm, revival is the results of that. Revival is not an emotion. Revival is not a feeling. It's the results of knowing God and trusting in his gifts. Stand with me. I'm going to do something this morning. After we receive communion, I'll give the benediction, the blessing. Then I'll stay and pray for anybody. I always do, but I just want you to know this morning, I'll stay and pray for every one of you. Uh, I'll, I'll stay and just try to encourage you if there's anything you need.